0: Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Jahangir Aziz. Jahangir, how are you doing?
1: All right. No.
0: All right. So New let's August.
1: start. New York is finally warming up, so it's good for me. That's good to hear.
0: <laughs> let's start with uh, China. I mean, this is uh, a country that is not only big, but it's important and it's confusing. Um, and I, I guess what we really want to start with is just your read on how to think about where China is as it moves from what we could see is the first quarter where it got a big reopening bounce. Sure. But what's what's happening as we go to mid-year? How do we think about the, the role China is going to play in the global economy for the rest of the year? So why don't you just take us through that?
1: Sure. Um, so I think, you know, in the case of China, I mean, it's, it's true for most countries. But in the case of China, it's a probably a bit more, uh, uh, you know, uh, sharp that, you know, we think of China more in terms of the memories about China that we have rather than the reality of China. So when, you know, uh, China did miraculous things in the past, we expect China to keep on delivering the miraculous things, right? So when China reopened, there was a massive amount of exuberance. We looked at the first quarter numbers. Those numbers were absolutely stupendous, you know, 12% quarter-on-quarter growth. And, you know, uh, and then the assumption was that this reopening, which started with, consumption and uh, services consumption in particular, and then it was with you know uh, government infrastructure spending would very quickly spread to the other parts of the economy. Now, the reality is that it doesn't really spread that quickly in most recoveries. You are going to get hiccups. You are going to get stumbles on the way. And the April data print was such a stumble. The question is, do we interpret that as noise or do we interpret that as signal? I think last week, uh, you wrote about, you know, that there is some element of noise, some element of, uh, uh, of of signal in it, and we essentially went back to where we started the year in terms of our year ahead forecast. So, but let know. me
0: just ask you this. So, we, you, you know, you're, as you say, we we downplay the first quarter strength. We downplay the April weakness. We've got a China, which in the first half is 7%. But when I look at the the region and I look at Taiwan, for example, I look at the... Um, commodity prices in the uh, world—it—it it certainly gives me some reason to pause and say, maybe there's more uh, concern here than what we 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 see just trying to process the China data alone. I mean, how do you kind of react to what you're seeing around China as a as a signal that China's impulse may just not be very much of a, a positive here, and possibly even a negative?
1: Sure, sure. I think I, I think that I'm going to go back to the memory versus reality argument, right? So we think about China's infrastructure and we immediately jump to the conclusion this must push up commodities because China's infrastructure is very commodity heavy and the commodity content is very high. But look at China's infrastructure in the last two years. It hasn't been roads. It hasn't been high-speed railroads. It hasn't been the kind of housing. It hasn't been the kind of things that were used to China. Instead, China has more or less moved to producing or, or, or constructing infrastructure for electric vehicles, charging stations, for hydrogen, hydrogen powered uh, as, uh, you know, uh, vehicles. Uh, it has moved towards greening and moves towards its COP26 commitments. Those are in those are also infrastructure, but that infrastructure is not commodity heavy. In fact, that infrastructure is heavy towards intermediate goods that are imported from Korea, Japan, uh, Germany, etc. And some of it from ASEAN. So I think there is spillover taking place, but it's not taking place compared to the kind of spillovers that we were we are used to China's infrastructure spending. And I think that's the way we need to recalibrate our views about where the spillover is going to take place. It's going to be less so, commodity so- heavy and much more towards green energy and things of that sort.
0: So let me kind of cut to the chase, which is I'm sitting here trying to figure out where the global economy is, you are to some degree as well. And we've obviously uh, had some pretty positive news overall in the first three four months of the year. But there's this you know, gap between services and manufacturing, and the manufacturing surveys that have come in in May have been on the soft side. and. The question is: Is China going to help provide the, um, you know, the underlying demand for for some improvement in manufacturing in the next three or four months? Is China going to be neutral? Is China going to be uh, a negative in the context of how we think about spillovers from the point of view right. of global growth? What's what's your take on that?
1: We've had these discussions in the past about you know we were waiting for a goods turnaround to take place. The data disappointed um, uh, this week that there there isn't that evidence. I think we need to be a little bit more patient uh, as far as China's concerned. And and there's a shoe that hasn't dropped. But you say
0: patient, meaning that it will come.
1: It will come. There's a shoe that hasn't dropped, and that shoe is private investment. So private investment is about 60% of China's investment. Now, it does contain housing investment uh, in part of that private investment, and we do not expect housing investment to turn around. But there is a large part of private investment that is not housing. And that part of private private investment has been you know, basically languishing for the last two years. It ha, it, it is unrelated to you know, fears of recession, um, a, a, which is the reason as to why business spending elsewhere has been has been dampened. It is much more to do with the policy decisions and the and the choices that the government made from in 21 and 22 that were very widely interpreted that there is a decisive shift in the government's attitude towards the private sector, in fact, away from the private sector. Now, that's a perception. That is not necessarily the case, you know, but what we ended ended up with is a private investment that has languished for two years, that hasn't done very much. But what we've seen so far is significant amount of overtures that are being made by the government. You may have the
0: issue of memory versus reality
1: here. Uh, and, I, and I think that I, I, that I think that I'm going to go back and say on <laughs> uh, this one, I'm going to rely on the memory more than the reality. But I do think that it is not, cons- it, 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 it seems you know, strange that we're talking about the second largest economy turning around after two years of lockdown and the private sector in that uh, not moving uh, in that direction, despite the fact that the government is making these overtures. I think you need to give time for the business sentiment to, you know, get a little bit more assured. But if that happens, I think that, you know, you are going to see the second half of the year actually being supported by private investment. And that still, I'm hoping that is going to deliver a stronger than the 5% annualized rate that we have uh, penciled in for the second half. Um, but so, so that's where I stand on the China growth and the spillover's taking place but I think people need to be aware that the spillover again is not going to be commodity intensive. So the spillover will take place, it'll take place elsewhere. Uh, But, you know, but just looking at the data so far that we've seen so far this, this, this week, you know, we talked about the disappointments with the manufacturing PMIs and the uh, manufacturing numbers and the continued strength of IP services. Uh, So do you think that that divergence remains and you know, or do you think that manufacturing will start coming back? Uh, we know that you know business sentiment had been languishing elsewhere too, but those were you know, fears of recession and an uncertainty about that. Uh, so, where do you stand on this divergence that we're seeing between uh, services versus?
0: Well, I think we we are in a in a, an unusual world in that services are uh, cyclical and a driver of the business cycle in a way that they're generally not, and I think. That has a lot of, you know, elements related to the pandemic associated with that, particularly when we look out in Asia right now, you know, look at Japan, for example, which is probably running the strongest set of indicators of any of the large economies we watch. Uh, some of the smaller Asian countries are getting a, a similar boost, although their their manufacturing sectors might also be offsetting that to some degree. Um, and I don't think that's going to change uh, substantially in the next few months, but we we do not, I think, get this thing to work along the lines of our forecast if manufacturing continues to weaken here. So we need to see at least, I think, some stabilization in manufacturing. And I think the um, the China piece of it is important in the way you described. I think the other part of this is that um, we actually have a both uh, final demand from goods coming from the consumer, which gets benefits from falling inflation, food price inflation coming off as a... Is an important part of the story in in a number of countries right now, um, and that the business sector is kind of not not strong, but it's not retrenching; it's bending but not breaking in the face of this. And you know, I think in that context, it was encouraging to see uh, the news from the Durable's report this week. And the U.S. Uh, on the consumer side, of course, the con- U.S. consumer not only gave you a good overall number in April gave you a, a very strong goods spending number, which is important for manufacturers. The number next week, of course, the u s. employment report is probably going to be solid, but still showing some slowing in in labor demand. And I, and I think right now the basic story is, you know we're we're feeling okay. There is that divergence. There is that question of whether businesses are going to be more um, uh, cautious than we expect. But there's nothing in the indicators that are scaring me. About a, a break here or anything, you know, there's a lot of people forecasting recession taking hold in the U.S. over the next few months. I don't think that's the tone, the terms of the debate that we're kind of uh, struggling with right now. There's pluses and minuses, but not um, a, uh, I think, a great concern about a break. Not not lo- not losing sight, of course, of the fact that if you ask me where we're going to be six or twelve months from now, I can see. Um, a pretty good case. And it's in our forecast that the U.S. will be in recession. But that's a story which has an element of time associated with uh, continued restrictive policies by the Fed and other central banks and continued credit tightening. And maybe we should just go into that for a moment, because I think part of the story uh, for this week is not just the um, um, the dynamics on on growth, but inflation, where we did get some good news on on food and Energy prices continue to come off. These core numbers just stay pretty darn uh, stubbornly high. We saw it in the U.S. uh, PCE report uh, today, but the April numbers that have come out overall, if you take out China, we're running 0.5 on a monthly basis in April globally, and we're running almost 5.5% on the three month basis. That is not something central bankers um, like. I think the Fed has got an interesting uh, choice to make as it sits at the June meeting. But there's a lot of EM central banks as well we might want to just mention in terms of you know, why, whether they're actually going to have any flexibility here to actually start to think about taking off, particularly the high yielders. And some of them have particularly high, high policy rates. LATAM may be the, the interesting place to focus. What's, what's your call? And especially with food prices coming off now, that's, that's starting to give us some downside headline inflation readings. Do you have uh, candidates beyond what we've seen in Hungary this week for uh, policy to actually start to ease in, in EM?
1: No, we do have. I mean, we do have, uh, you know, uh, particularly in the Latin America space, we saw Hungary starting, and I think that you that will trigger some more of the uh, Hungary is uh, a
0: big signal for other central banks around the world, right? <laughs> you
1: know, but, yeah. but, you know, at least, at least, at least you know, uh, we have a major emerging market country, be, you know, proverbial belling the cat. Uh, uh, but, but, but I think that. You know there is a there is a difference between the way in which the market is perceiving this and how we are perceiving it, and the and the way in which growth and inflation is rolling out and and, and it goes back to the question the, the, the description that he gave for U.S. and the other economies where the growth has been uh, much more resilient than uh, we had expected at the beginning of the year, and that has the you know unintended consequence of keeping uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, uh, core inflation quite sticky. That's the same issue with emerging markets, where every passing data point we have seen growth being much stickier and much more resilient. And with that, you know, it is not that core inflation isn't coming down; it is just not coming down as in the case of the US, uh, as fast as we would have liked to, or as fast as the central bankers would feel comfortable. With. So uh, we are going to see headline inflation coming down. And uh, core will come down, but not as much as we'd expected. And I think that in the second half of the year, that will create space for some of these central banks that started raising rates much earlier than the Fed, have moved rates to a point where you know, it's really biting, you know, eight, 9% real rates. It is biting in the economy and they will start cutting. I think some of them have been a bit hesitant Largely because of very idiosyncratic reasons, like fiscal concerns in uh, in, in the case of uh, Brazil. But I think by the time we get to the second half, you will see rate cuts taking place. However, I don't think it is going to be anywhere close uh, to the kind of rate cuts that are being priced in the market. Which also brings you know the same issue. I'm guessing is going to happen in the U.S. because the U.S. even right now, the the market is pricing significant rate cuts by the Know, by the end of the year. Whereas, you know, we do not see uh, the Fed going anywhere close to, you know, 50, 75 basis points of rate cuts by the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I I would say right now, I think if we think about where Fed policy rates are going to be at the end of the year, there's probably a a slightly greater probability, uh, maybe even significantly greater probability that they'll be higher than where they are today, as opposed to being uh, lower as the market is is clearly uh, pricing. So,
1: to the more 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 immediate question, even before we get to the June FMC, and I had a question about what do you feel about June FMC? Whether you see a rate cut or you basically see a skip, uh, or this is going to be the beginning of the pause. Uh, how do you feel about the issue for next week, uh, the death ceiling?
0: Uh, I'd like to think it's the issue for the next uh, 24 hours. I'd like to see a resolution to that come, um, but. I mean, certainly the body language feels like we're coming towards some kind of a deal. Um, it feels like both parties, while they're pushing hard to get their best agreement, recognize that it would be a, a big mistake to to let this go over the edge. So certainly compared to a couple of weeks ago, I'm feeling a bit more comfortable that we're not going to have the the more extreme scenarios. And then we'll just have to roll with the punches and see what the deal looks like, which feels like it's gonna deliver some fiscal tightening, but not one that is gonna uh, dominate the outlook. I think at this point, if I had to guess, I think we'd be talking about a, a fiscal drag uh, relative to our current forecast that it takes a couple of tenths off of growth next year, which in the broad scheme of things, isn't something to get too um, uh, uh, focused on. I think you know one of the interesting issues is, assuming we get some resolution in the next yeah. few days, where is Chair Powell going to be uh, in the middle of June? And and some of that obviously rests on how firmly was the signal he gave us last week, where he did seem to suggest the Fed can pause. But we had stronger demand indicators this week. Uh, we had a little bit stronger inflation reading on the PCE basis. Um, we still have a payroll report and a CPI report, uh, and financial markets are looking like they're 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 doing well. Partly in anticipation of of a fed that might be taking a, at least a meeting off so you know right now i would kind of put the odds 60 40 in the direction of a pause but you know my basic view is if the fed pauses it's a good chance that's not terminal yes. so i still have a pretty strong bias that rates are going to get above five and a quarter at some point here uh and it's i think it's a it's a call around how powell's reaction function plays out here and he's been jumping around here um, as he balances financial stability, uh, growth issues, uh, and the obvious um, persistence of inflation. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean
1: it's quite you know, contrasting that in the largest economy in the world, we are worried, worried about continued inflation and, and that, you know, whether the next move is going to be a rate hike or a pause, whereas in the second largest economy of the world, which is supposed to have had this massive reopening, we are worried about disinflation taking place. The China.
0: China, we're not going to have the time to go into it, but Chinese inflation is getting quite low here, right? It might even be deflation before long. And the whole run here on China inflation has been remarkably different than what we've been seeing elsewhere in the world. But that I think is is unfortunately going to be a a conversation for a, a different JP Morgan TV session. So I think we'll end it here. Um, hope everybody has a a good weekend. Thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, hope we can continue the conversation next week on JP Morgan
1: TV. Thank you very much.